Hey, it's Brett. It's the Wednesday edition of the Mackling and McGarry 680 CJOB podcast. Extra busy show today. And we'll start the podcast with a conversation we had about food waste. There's a chef in Toronto who's looking to change the way that we think about food waste, especially when you consider that $31 billion, billion worth of food, $31 billion worth of food gets thrown away in this country every year. Also, we'll speak with the Liberal leader of Manitoba, Dougal Lamont. Congratulations to him for winning the seat in the St. Boniface by-election. Breaking news from Mayor Brian Bowman on Wednesday morning. He announced that he is going to support a motion for that referendum that Jeff Brawati wants. Councillor Jeff Brawati wants a referendum on whether or not we should reopen Portage in Maine. So we'll hear from both Jeff Brawati and Mayor Brian Bowman. And then finally, it's a big anniversary week at the planetarium and in the sky, specifically on the moon. It's all coming up today on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't you tell me you're full, just eat it. Toronto chef is looking to feed families, not landfills, by saving food destined for the trash. Jagger Gordon runs Feed It Forward, the first grocery store in Canada where you pay for, or you pay what you can. With more, here's Global's Mike Drolet. Canadians throw away $31 billion worth of consumable food every year. Where does it go? The landfill. In fact, 40% of all the food we produce ends up in the dump. And that should matter, because one in seven Canadians live in poverty. Pepper and a tomato. Our system, Gordon says, is insanely inefficient, which is why he started a petition to have Canada follow France's lead and ban supermarket waste by compelling large retailers to donate unsold food. Free organic bread, free organic lettuce from my garden. He pledged four years ago to become a zero-waste chef and began giving away meals to a few, then a few more until he opened a soup bar that fed two to three hundred people a day. But even that wasn't enough. I had to figure out new ways of um, basically giving food back. So we opened the only pay-what-you-can grocery store in North America. There's no cash register, just a donation box. So today we're having coffee talking about food waste. Shanley Vidal is here, Kelly Moore, Tristan Field-Jones, Clay Young, and Tristan, I want to start with you on this. Hello. Maybe because most of the food you eat is it comes out of a, a microwave, but when most you do of the food have, I eat here, Brett McGarry. Okay, so <laughs> the the produce that you do end up consuming or having in the home on a regular basis, yes, Brett, go on. Does it? Ooh, just a little defensive yeah. there. No, yeah. I'm not defensive. Sorry. Yes, go ahead. So much sass mouth. Yeah. How much do, does it ever end up in the trash? Uh, no, and I make uh, sure that uh, as much food as possible, even if it's something that I bought that I don't really like, I eat it because I don't want uh, uh, I don't want anything going to waste because th- that is, I think one of the things that appalls me the most is that we have so much food. I mean, look at the amount of stuff we produce just here in Manitoba. And whenever I see, you know, even a little bit go to waste when it's perfectly good, and just the horror stories I've heard from people who work at, you know, major grocery stores and the amount of stuff they have to throw away that's perfectly good or that would make good compost or whatever it may be. So, no, I make sure that anything uh, that I eat, if I don't, if I bought it and I don't like it a lot, well, it's a lesson not to buy it again. So, uh, but no, I, I'm very careful when it comes to food waste. Shanalee? Uh, you know what, I... 
I'm not as careful as Tristan, unfortunately. I'm very much aware of the problem of food waste, and I I know I have to be conscious of it and do something about it. And I I have good intentions, and you know I'm I'm going to shop locally, and I go to the farmers market, and I get all these beautiful looking vegetables. Last weekend it was these beets and these purple peppers, and they're still in the fridge, and they're starting, they're staring at me, and I feel guilty every time they look at me with the just. With those accusing eyes that they're growing. I wonder how much of this food waste has to do with how we store things and whether or not we're on if we're unaware of how to properly store certain foods. And you know, you have a crisper for vegetables, one for fruit. Do we do we know how to set those things? Like, I wonder how much of it comes down to that. Kelly, you've got some some good tips. I know we've we've had this discussion in the past at, have, on yeah. a high level. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm the leftover king, <laughs> so uh, there's very little food that goes to waste in our house. And even like if if some bananas have sat too long and they become overripe, we don't like to eat those. So we put them in the freezer, and then my wife uh, will either thaw them out for smoothies or mm. she makes some of the best banana bread. We've been hearing uh, about this banana bread for a year, yet oh, we've, we've okay. yet to taste what it are you here it in? the morning show. Karen, <laughs> I know you're listening right now. Could you please take the bananas, thaw them out? When it's cooler, could you please bake a loaf of banana bread that I can bring to the... the okay. The mythical the, banana bread. Yeah. yeah. The, the, mess- the message has been sent. Thank there you, you go. Kelly. Yeah. I like banana bread. Clayman? Well, I'd take um, um, a great amount of time preparing a salad for work, right? You know, I get my lettuce and my little, um, uh, cut up my banana and my apple and little carrots and some spinach, throw it all in a Tupperware container, bring it to work, and there's chips all over the place in this (laughs) newsroom. (laughs) And I'm looking at the chips and I'm looking at my salad and sometimes I listen to Tristan, and I start eating the chips, and then I forget about my salad, which has been sitting at my desk for eight hours. I take it home, throw it back in the fridge. Next day, oh, this should still be good. Same thing happens. The cycle repeats itself. And by day three, I thought, no, this this thing isn't any good. That's this not, salad is not good. That's not my fault, Clay, if you choose to eat the chips. They, they are there, but nobody's forcing them in your mouth. You say, oh, my God, we have chips. I love it, Clay. I love it, Clay. Blame Tristan Field Jones. <laughs> we yeah. do blame Tristan for just about anything around here. Yeah. Two, two words that jumped out in that report, and that was uh, two words used conjointly, insanely inefficient in terms of our food distribution mm-hmm. and how we manage our food. I, that feels accurate when 40% of the food we buy goes to waste, Brett. It, it, it makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah, when I think, I always wonder when I walk through the supermarket and I see dust on certain things, you know, eventually that's going to be mm-hmm. thrown away and you think, oh, God, I, there are so many people that could be fed from that. Or even when you go to a burger stand, you can pick any burger stand like not a fast food place but a burger stand where you get like have you ever got just asked for a small fries or an individual fries and been served this giant carton of french fries like i remember getting i just wanted a burger and fries i got the small fries and the and uh, burger and i could barely eat half because it was so much food right um and i think Right there. I'm going to throw those fries away because it's, I don't, I haven't figured out a a good way to reheat French fries in a, I guess I could try them in a That's what actually what we wind up doing, Brett, is we make a single order because everything is so supersized these days 
that one order usually takes care of both of us. Yeah, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. so I wonder how much food gets wasted in in burger stands, in restaurants in general. How about hospitals? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Never thought about that because a lot of people probably can't, they, they try to eat, but they yeah. can't eat it. Yeah, there's no question. This is kind of cool. We got a text message here, went to a restaurant in Montreal. They would tell you what they're serving that night, and you could order three sizes, and then soup, a salad, main dish. Here's here's the Here's the hitch. If you didn't finish all the courses, you didn't get dessert or the next course. So uh, that's an interesting way yeah. of, of, of presenting and selling food without question. Well, the problem, though, is that if you go to Quebec uh, and you order poutine, um, always get the, tiny, the tiniest size possible because they do not believe in small portions there. I know that times I've been to Quebec for... Uh, poutine and that sort of the first time I tried it uh, I decided to get like a, a medium size because I was okay. really hungry and I, I'm not exaggerating it could have fed three people wow yeah it's the portions there for poutine are just bonkers can you give me the address of that uh, <laughs> honestly great any restaurant Street. <laughs> yeah any restaurant in a small town in Quebec that's the portion you'll get a uh-huh, small town that's the key You're the best just before we introduce our next guest, a winner, as the music selected by Tristan Field-Jones would imply, I want to read a text from Ryan at 204-780-6868 regarding our previous conversation about food waste. Ryan says, hey guys, I'm with you. I'm a stickler when it comes to throwing out food. Stores and restaurants are compelled by our system to do so, unfortunately. I went to a store in my area to ask them for any veggies they were going to toss. I wanted to feed the old food to my chickens and goats, but they wouldn't. Quote, it's a liability. Ryan, you raise a great point. Thank you very much for sharing it. Text us at any time, 204-780-6868. We have to get that word liability out of the language when it comes to donating food, and there has to be a way to do that. There needs to be a priority made on making that a possibility. A big win. Speaking of winners, a big win for Dougal DeMont last night. That's right. The Manitoba Liberal Party. Huge victory, not just for the leader, but for the party itself. As the leader, Dougal Lamont, won the provincial by-election, gives Lamont a seat in the legislature, and also gives the Liberals official party status. And now we are joined live on 680 CJOB by Dougal Lamont. Mr. Lamont, congratulations to you, sir. Thank you so much. So can you give us a little bit of an understanding of what this official party status means for the Liberal Party of Manitoba, Mr. Lamont? Well, it's, I mean, it, it, there's all sorts of things that, that sort of kick in. Uh, in. But one of the things it does is it means that I will be able to stand in the front row of the legislature and be able to represent the people of St. Boniface and people of Manitoba on a daily basis. And... Uh, as I put it before, I get to directly ask questions of the premier and ministers, and they are supposed to answer me <laughs> equally directly. Um, and, uh, you know, it means a better budget for research and so on, but it, it ultimately just expands our role in the legislature. So it means that I can do a better job uh, of representing St. Boniface, and actually each one of the, our MLAs will also have a, a stronger role. So we'll have a stronger role on committees, We'll be able to do more to uh, to change laws and to uh, contribute to debate. So it's it's it is uh, and it really does make a difference because honestly, when you're not an official party, to put this in the difference between when you're not, if you're an independent MLA, you have to ask permission to speak, 
uh, in the House, you have to ask permission to speak in committee. And, you know, you might be able to want to put forward a really good idea as a private member's bill and no one will second it. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that's happened in the past under under all sorts of governments. So it, it means that we can move forward and just be a much stronger new voice of opposition in the legislature that hasn't been there uh, up till now. Decisive victory for you. Uh, what is it? Because you had uh, 2,625 votes uh, defeating the NDP's Blundin Tona, who had 1,770 votes. So a big gap between the two of you. What does it mean to take that riding from the New Democrats? Uh, it's look. It's a, it's a really big deal. But I mean, the St. Boniface is a is a is a constituency with with deep liberal roots. Um, but it is, you know, it was held previously by the by the NDP premier. Uh, it, it was people thinking that that was it. Is it is that people perceived it as being sort of an NDP stronghold? We've shown that's not the case. Uh, and people also, you know, have always thought, well, look, the NDP they've got a machine and they can win, and the Liberals can't. And we've proved that that's that's that we can win, uh, and we can win in places thought we never could. So uh, it's absolutely, you know, <laughs> the bigger picture of it is that. Um, you know, if people are looking for a party uh, to beat the, the the Palliser PCs, they should be looking pretty seriously at the Liberals. So for those that haven't necessarily been paying that close attention to your platform and what you intend to bring and to be espousing within the, the, the House and the, and the legislature now, uh, give us a little bit of an idea what your uh, top two or three priorities might be as we, we head towards the fall session. Sure. I mean, well, we have a couple of different things. I had a number of commitments uh, in my leadership, which was from uh, last year. Uh, you can check it all out on my website, ourneway.ca. But um, one of the major things is healthcare. Uh, we don't think there need to be the kind of cuts we've been seeing. We don't think there need to be the kind of cuts to education. One of our big focuses has been on uh, economic development and uh, growing our private sector, helping Manitoba businesses especially uh, build and grow. But look, one of the most important things that just came up, the story broke basically as the polls closed yesterday, because it turned out that in South St. Boniface, there are elevated levels of lead on people's property in their soil, way above what's safe. And the, the, the province was sitting on this report for two weeks because they said there was a communications blackout during the by-election. So uh, this is something that we've been talking about for a long time. It's a serious, it's a pretty serious health issue, a public health issue. For, for people who are living in that part of uh, St. Boniface. So, uh, and that, that's the sort of, it's an environmental health issue that has impacts uh, across Manitoba because there have been people who are affected in similar situations and the province has just been turning a blind eye. So, I mean, really health education, jobs, and the environment, and, and that's what we're going to be pushing on. Dougal Lamont is the Manitoba Liberal Party leader, fresh off. Uh, victory in the St. Boniface by election yesterday, giving the Liberals official party status in the legislature. Good voter turnout, too, 48%. What does that tell you about uh, the people of St. Boniface as uh, they headed into this election? Well, look, very. it is such a politically engaged community. Uh, I could feel it right away. I mean, people understand what's going on. They understand the issues. and They understand the importance of voting and what a difference it can make. Uh, so it was that was clear to me right away uh, as soon as I started knocking on doors and and uh, but it also means that they're looking for change and they saw it in the Liberal Party. So we hope to be able to uh, to just keep 
uh, replicating that success across the across the province. The leader of the Manitoba Liberal Party and now the MLA for St. Boniface, Dougald Lamont, joining us. Thank you for this, uh, Dougald. We look forward to uh, engagement with you as we move forward. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much. Thanks for making it uh, confirming that this is real. <laughs> our, our pleasure. <laughs> uh, a little humility there from uh, the new MLA for St. Boniface. And congratulations to everyone who ran. Brett, we've had this discussion several times on air about how difficult it is to get the gumption to, in these in these trying times with social media and the prying into your private life, yeah. it's not easy to put your name forward and, and to stand up and be counted. So congratulations to everyone who did just that. Text message from Scott at 204-780-6868. Let's close Portage and Main to vehicular traffic and make it pedestrian only. Red River Cart and Oxen accepted. <laughs> this in a reaction. We're getting lots of reaction already to uh, an announcement that we read just moments ago. Mayor Brian Bowman says he will support a motion that would give you the right to vote on the future of Portage and Maine. In a release, Bowman says the debate over whether or not to open it to pedestrians has demanded a lot of attention. He says it's taking away from other pressing issues facing the city. Last month, City Councilor Jeff Brawati put a motion forward to hold a plebiscite on the future of the intersection at this fall's civic election, and Bowman says he will support that motion at tomorrow's council meeting. Bowman has been very vocally, Brawati has been very vocally opposed to reopening the intersection to pedestrians, and he joins us live this morning on 680 CJOB. Councillor Brawati, good morning to you, sir. When did you find out about this? I had an email come through at 747 this morning. That's first I got word. So same as us. What was your reaction? Well, I think this is positive. I mean, this is an opportunity now to have a, uh, a discussion on this issue, you know, once and for all, finally, after this is decided, no more. But we can have uh, a proper conversation. People can make an informed decision uh, come October because we'll uh, you know, have both sides of this issue. Uh, Mayor Bowman can continue saying, you know, the, why he wants to see it open. And I think the rest of the and you know, and others can, you know, explain why, uh, you know, it's a problem. Councillor, uh, the, the mayor was very vocal uh, with regard to your uh, support and, and you bringing up this idea and, and putting this motion forward. In fact, several times told you or suggested through the media that you have the courage of your convictions. And if you wanted to voice your opinion on a citywide issue like this, that you should run for mayor. How, how do you feel in light of those suggestions by the mayor? How are you feeling uh, this morning? Are you feeling somewhat vindicated? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it means that, you know, any member of council gets gets a vote. And when you have a, you know, a good idea is a, is a good idea at the end of the day. And uh, I'm happy to see that uh, the mayor recognizes that. We have one text message here uh, from Cindy at 204-780-6868. Her reaction to the, the announcement from Mayor Bowman is simply face-saving. Can he see his job slipping away? That's what Cindy says. Do you think there's any merit to what Cindy is saying? Well, I think the mayor does recognize that uh, he's probably on the wrong side of uh, most Winnipeggers on this issue right now. Uh, now he's, there's an opportunity for you know all the people who are in support of this to have their say, as well as uh, those that are not, like myself. 
So this, uh, again, um, this maybe gives uh, him the stage to to have a better discussion on this particular issue. City Councilor for North Kildonan is Jeff Berwadi. And Jeff, you're my city councilor. And I've said this to you off air and on air before. There have been uh, multi-million dollar projects, including Chief Pegwis Trail. And I know it's a provincial project, but we've got the new interchange going in at 59 and the perimeter. Uh, If those went to plebiscite, uh, Disraeli Freeway, I think I've also cited, uh, those are... uh, 300, 100, 400 million dollar projects, if those went to plebiscite, I've suggested that those individual projects might not get approved by the city as a whole either. Do you think it's a, a good idea to to have these individual large projects on the ballot? I, I wouldn't put them necessarily on individually. I mean, if we were to put out a, a, a full like multi-year uh, vision for our transportation network, that you know, perhaps had a had a fairly significant cost. Perhaps that's an issue that uh, could go to taxpayers. Like it would be a bundle of uh, our, our multi-year, ten-year, or fifteen-year uh, transportation network plan. Something like that you could put on a ballot. Uh, the mayor does point out uh, properly in his press release that by asking a single question when people are already going to the polls, there is no uh, material cost to, uh, to adding this question to the ballot. Do you think that this sets a precedent for for other projects down the road? For example, a lot of people have said rapid transit will serve me not at all. I don't want my money going towards that. So do you think that we're kind of going down the down the slippery slope? Well, the reality when it comes to, to rapid transit is, uh, I, I mean, depending how Winnipeg grows and how big it grows over the coming years, uh, we can have that discussion as well. Um, Los Angeles County, which you know is obviously a totally different scale than, than Winnipeg, they put out a plebiscite to the public uh, a couple years ago, and it actually gained support, and uh, a big tax increase is going through in, in L.A. County, but people are doing that with eyes wide open. The expectation wasn't that people were you know clamoring to get on the bus or the LRT. They want other people to go on the bus or the LRT so the traffic for them is improved. Uh, I'm not saying we're anywhere close to that right now in Winnipeg, but again, I mean... You, you have to put out something that makes sense to the public. You have to come up with a, a plan that people can buy into, and you have to sell your vision. So the opportunity is there now for the mayor and, and people that support opening Port Germain to put their vision out there. Mm-hmm. I, I know I know where uh, you know, Greg's made his comments on the on the issue known. So yeah, I mean you know let's 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 have have a proper discussion right now. Uh, last one for you, Councillor, before we let you run here. Do you expect now this motion will pass with? The mayor's vote, uh, you know, he's only one vote, but will others follow him uh, to vote uh, yes on the motion tomorrow? I mean, before the mayor coming forward, I think the vote was very close. Um, now I think, you know, there'll be, uh, you know, an allowance of some, some EPC members that want to vote for it. I think they'll have that opportunity now. All right, Councillor Jeff Rawadi, thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Uh, we appreciate the time. Thank you. It is 8.13 on 680 CJOB. Hopefully at some point today we will speak with the mayor of Winnipeg on this. Once again, if you are just tuning in, Mayor Brian Bowman now issuing, uh, sending out an email statement today that he will support a motion that would give you the right to vote on the future of Portage and Maine. Normally, we hear this on Thursday mornings. At around 7.45, but a special visit today from the mayor. Brian Bowman is here, and Winnipeg City Council wants to hear from you when it comes to Portage in Maine. The mayor is supporting a referendum on the future of the intersection. Earlier this morning, we spoke with City Councilor Jeff Berwadi 
who's in favor of it. So now we're joined live in studio, Mayor Brian Bowman. And Greg, why don't you start us off with the Good questions? Morning. Good morning, uh, Mayor Bowman. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. Pretty simple question. Yeah. Why the change of heart? Uh, well, uh, what change are you talking about? Because the my position on the issue of pedestrians uh, at Portage and Main is, has been consistent. I, I campaigned on a mandate uh, back in 2014 to engage the property owners and Winnipeggers on a, in a conversation. And we've done that. Uh, we've uh, we've also moved the ball forward with doing uh, brick and mortar remedial work that's happening uh, below grade and at grade right now, and trying to better align the design work with the uh, with the property owners there. Um, on the issue of a referendum, this was uh, proposed a month ago by Councillor Barati and Councillor Lukes, and uh, I don't think there's any disputing. You know, and I and I said at the time that um, you know we'd, we'd have some conversations at City Hall and we'd consider it and. Uh, I appreciate the fact that Councillor Broady and Councillor Lukes provided a full month for dialogue and discussion on an issue of a referendum. A city's done them, has had two in the past, but um, I don't think there's uh, there's any disputing that this is an issue that's very polarizing for Winnipeggers. It's also one that people have pretty passionate views on. And, um, you know, my number one priority is fixing the roads. It's been the number one priority um, I think Winnipeggers, if they want to have their say on it, I think they should have their say. And you I think challenge, you challenge Councillor Barati to have the courage of his convictions. I think he used the terminology at least three times and essentially said that if you want Portage and Maine to be one of the main topics of discussion in, in this campaign, then you should step forward, throw your hat in the ring. Oh, no, I, I, I said that because Councillor Barati has been a very vocal critic since I removed him from EPC two years ago. And, um, and he has very strong views on me. Um, you know, running for mayor, you have to have strong views about the vision of where you're going to move the city forward. And so uh, I challenged him then to, to consider putting his name on the ballot, not just criticize, but actually, you know, have the, have the courage of your convictions and put your, put your name on the ballot as I've done. On this issue, though, um, you know, it was proposed by two councillors. I've been speaking over the last month with my council colleagues. And um, I think Winnipeggers should have their say. And, and I also want to say that I, I you know, I think there'll be proponents of opening it. There'll be opponents of, uh, you know, that on it that will come forward if council supports the referendum tomorrow, as I'm hoping they're doing uh, or going to do. And then uh, and then I'm going to respect that if I get uh, a mandate and uh, and people say yes to opening it up. I still need to make sure that we're properly managing pedestrian safety and traffic flows and we'll do a common sense phased in approach. If they say no, though. Uh, if Winnipeggers aren't ready for it, then we have to respect that. And I would fully respect that in, in you know, letter and spirit. If people say they're not ready, uh, let's let's focus on the real issues that, that are affecting a growing city. And that's how are we going to fix our roads, build a public transportation that's safe and reliable, build inclusive and, uh, and safe families for or communities for families. Those are the issues that uh, I, I think are are much more important for us to be discussing than one single intersection. So let's let people have their say. Um, my views on it are are unchanged, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, I think it's I think it's incumbent upon all of the mayoral candidates today to uh, to say whether they would respect a referendum outcome. Um, either way, and I'm and I want to be very very clear: Winnipeggers should have their say. And their say should be uh, treated as binding, and it would be treated as binding for me either way, and I'd fully respect that. Instead of a referendum, we have a, a text message from uh, one of our listeners making asking this question. Last year, the city put out a survey on their website on smoking on patios. I myself was stopped by a couple of people uh, conducting this survey, and so they, instead of a referendum, could you not do that again? 
Well, look, uh, the motion that we are going to be considering tomorrow at council as proposed by Councillor Barati and Councillor Lukes is, uh, is a referendum. And, um, um, you know, the fact that we've had the month to consider is, is important. Uh, we've also been told that, you know, one single yes or no question, there's no, no additional cost. Um, uh, so, so the one question for me is, is reasonable, especially given the fact we've had a month to consider it. Uh, you know, members of council and mayors are elected to make decisions uh, all of the time. I think there's there's no denying this issue is galvanizing people and that people have very strong views. Uh, I don't think there's any anything wrong with listening to people and letting them have their say. And and I, I wanted to be very clear that uh, that I would treat the the direction from uh, from Winnipegers on this issue as binding. And um, and I think all mayoral candidates should pledge to do so today as well. We know you have to run, but I have to ask you about one of the accusations and suggestions made by one of your competitors in the mayoral race, uh, Jenny Motkalak, yesterday, suggesting that some of the money, some of the record spending on roads has had money, and she didn't necessarily use the word diverted, but money that that you are pledging is going to roads is actually going to consultants, is actually going to engineering and to studies, yeah. uh, part of those uh, in conjunction with the, the pledge to reopen Portage and Maine. Do you have yeah. a response to that allegation? Well, you know, for someone who says that uh, it's not uh, it's not the priority of Winnipegers, she sure spends a lot of time talking about the issue. I mean, I'm I'm focused on road repairs. the The council direction on uh, on roads as well as on uh, the the monies. There's 3.5 million that was authorized by council uh, in an open and transparent way. Uh, the vast majority of which is for brick and mortar improvements to an intersection that's been neglected for you know 40 years. So it's it's disgusting, actually. The, if, if you go, if, I yeah, can use that word. Black you mold, might not. asbestos. Uh, there's rebar sticking out. It, it's embarrassing, and so. We're doing we're doing much needed work that has nothing you know like the the brick and mortar improvements that are being made are are below grade and are at grade and so uh, those improvements need to continue. I mean, it's an iconic intersection. The issue that we're we're really talking about right now is is do we want to allow pedestrians to cross? And currently, council has not provided that direction. And um, and I think before uh, we contemplate that at a at a future date, because it wouldn't be during this term. Let's let uh, let's let Winnipegers have their say. I don't think there's anything wrong with with allowing Winnipegers to have their view on an issue that they are talking about. And uh, what I plan to do in the uh, in the campaign is really talk about how we grow a city for a million people and the need to focus on infrastructure, fixing our roads, fixing uh, our public transportation system, and building active transportation to build more sustainable communities. And so there's a lot of other bigger issues at play. And, um, you know, my number one issue since I was elected, I continue to to stand behind it and the dollars do back back it up is uh, is fixing our roads. And right now there's a lot of construction in town because of that commitment. Mayor Brian Bowman, thank you very much for joining us live this yeah, morning thanks. on CJOB. Once again, if you're just tuning in, the mayor is going to support a motion recommending a referendum on opening Portage in Maine at tomorrow's council meeting. <laughs> And his name was Michael Neal, and I can't remember what his third name was, either uh, Aldrin or Edwin, in honor of the first three men on the moon. His birthday, July 20th, 1969. That's pretty cool. Yeah. We've got got a couple of space anniversaries to to tell you about. This Friday, the 49th anniversary of the first moon landing. That's cool. Also cool, this year, the Manitoba Museum's Planetarium celebrating its 50th anniversary. So there are some special activities planned 
around all that. So to tell us more, we're joined in studio by our pal Scott Young. He is manager of the Planetarium and Science Gallery. Scott, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, guys. So the 50th anniversary of the planetarium, big yeah. deal. Yeah, it's crazy. When we, we, we realized it was coming up and we started sort of figuring out, okay, what are we going to do to celebrate this event? And it kind of blew me away that it opened before the first moon landing. Yeah, that, you know? that seems almost backwards, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and I, I guess what was happening, everybody knew the moon landing was coming. There was the space race with the, the Soviet Union. There was all this activity and they realized, okay, well, space is the future. You know, our kids are going to grow up living and working on the moon or something. We got to get them prepped, and planetariums sprung up all around the world, um, and you know Winnipeg was was no exception. And uh, of course, we didn't get our flying cars or our jetpacks or any of that stuff. Everything slowed right down. I know, Dang. I know. I'm still waiting, but uh, the planetariums uh, around the world survived because it turns out that. Um, astronomy and space is kind of a really good gateway into science in general. So it's, it's been doing that for 50 years. Yeah. So what uh, kind of stuff you got planned this week then? Well, we're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, we wanted to do um, new planetarium shows, of course. We're doing uh, some laser shows, which are the most requested program we've ever done in the planetarium. It's, you know, lasers and music and all just fantastic stuff. I remember seeing uh, a Beatles-themed laser show when I was a kid Yeah, yeah. at the planetarium. It was nuts. We're running that. Uh, the Beatles is back uh, by popular request uh, every day at 3 o'clock. And then we, we've got everything from... Uh, Rush and Pink Floyd to Daft Punk, like the the, the whole range of stuff. Oh, my favorite one is the Stranger Things show. Um, it's based Ooh. on the the Netflix series, but it's also got a whole bunch of '80s music that you know, for someone my age who grew up in the '80s, you just it's it's like the soundtrack of my life with lasers. So it's hard <laughs> well, to go laser, wrong. Laser Floyd was kind of a rite of passage for for people of a certain generation in this city. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and we still we get, still get those same folks coming back every time we run it. We've got uh, Laser Floyd's running the late show on Saturdays, but uh, we've also got a bunch of new people coming in, and uh, even just young kids. P- parents are bringing their their kids and exposing them to this great music in a a really cool format because the the lasers really add to the sensory experience. So the 49th anniversary of the first moon landing, It's as, as you pointed out, we thought that we'd be, you know, colonizing space or what have you, and we've kind of, that hasn't happened. So yeah, how, I guess what is the everlasting effect of that trip to the moon? Well, it's, it's kind of amazing. It's not at all what we thought it would be. We thought it would be flying cars and living on the moon. What it really was was that one picture they took of the Earth when they were on the way back from the very last mission. It's a, it's a picture of the full Earth, and it is the most published picture in the history of humanity. Um, but it basically was the birth of the environmental movement. The, the idea of, you know, people were talking, oh, don't pollute, and they were talking about, uh, oh, capitalism is bad, and all these things. But really, that crystallized the idea that the Earth is fragile. It needs protection. If we mess it up, there's no, literally no other place to go. Even our closest neighbor, the moon, is totally inhospitable, and all that protects us is that thin layer of life. And basically, that changed the perspective of humanity, and not 100%, and not for everybody, but that is the sort of the birth of, of that sensibility. And I mean, a lot of technology went along with it. We, we put satellites up that now can give us weather forecasts and, and track the climate and do all sorts of things. We've got you know, worldwide communication. We've got all of these things that came out of that. I mean, even computers. Like, we've we've all got a computer in our pocket right now. No one ever thought of making a small computer before Apollo because why would you need to make it small? You just put it in a giant room. and But suddenly they had to make it small enough to go in a spacecraft. Well, if I've got this small computer, what else can I put it in? A, a plane, a car, my pocket, a toaster. 
and now it's everywhere. Do you get frustrated when people use the analogy and they'll say, we put a man on the moon, but we can't put tinfoil in a microwave oven. <laughs> or yeah. these sort of, it, like, yeah. it, 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 you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread, uh, that analogy is, is still in use. But I think landing and putting humans on the moon is somewhat the biggest deal, the biggest thing we've ever done as, as mankind. Was Neil Armstrong right? Yeah, I think um, it, it's sort of been forgotten because that generation that was there, like I... I I missed it because I was born a couple of years too late. But the the kids growing up now, they're like, well, why aren't we still doing it? You know, there's mm-hmm. even this whole idea of, oh, the whole thing was faked. It was a, a government conspiracy because they just don't see it happening anymore. Um, it was a massive undertaking, but it had a couple of conditions that we just don't see anymore. First of all, you had the, you had the Cold War. There were these two major superpowers fighting, but they couldn't fight on the ground with weapons because it would be nuclear war and everyone would die. So they fought by showing off in space. Right. And um, President Kennedy basically wrote a blank check and said, you know, by the end of the decade, we're going to do this. Now, interestingly, that is the last promise that a president has made that would go beyond their two terms of office since then. There's There's been very few other presidents who care what happens after they're not in office. Um, that kind of vision just isn't prominent in those kind of politics anymore. Talking about moons, can we ask you about this new new moons for yeah. Jupiter? Yeah, it's crazy, actually. Um, Twelve new moons of Jupiter were announced yesterday. And so for a while, Jupiter and Saturn have been fighting over who has the most moons because they discover one more here and then one more there. Do they know that they've been fighting about this or have we just been <laughs> yeah, that's... arbitrarily creating an argument yeah. between the two? There's the, there's the Jupiter office and the Saturn office down the hall at NASA, I'm sure, that are you know throwing stuff at each other. But uh, yeah, 12 new moons that have been discovered and uh, we'll actually be able to see Jupiter um, right next to the moon on Friday, which will be cool. But we won't see those moons. We'll only see the, the biggest ones. But it's... It's kind of amazing. You would think that we, we've checked out our local neighborhood and we know it pretty right. well, right? But no, I mean, there's still major discoveries to be made because space is big and we're not. We're, we're, we've only seen a, a, a tiny fraction of what's out there. And that's what's cool because everybody can make these discoveries. Like there's even, there's even stuff on the web where you can go and look at these pictures that no one has actually ever looked at yet because they're just being taken too fast. And people are making discoveries. People like you and me are making discoveries from their computer. What's this about one of the moons is described as an oddball. This is ominous. Uh, including one oddball in an orbit that eventually could spell its doom. Does it mean the doom of Jupiter? No, it's probably the doom of that moon. Jupiter's pretty big, and these these moons, the biggest one's only a few kilometers across. So um, basically, a lot of Jupiter's big. It's got a lot of gravity, and so anything that happens to go zooming by, like an asteroid or whatever, might get caught for a little while by the gravity. But eventually, it spirals in and then probably just crashes into the clouds of Jupiter. We've seen that happen before, so it's not uncommon. But usually, we don't know about it until after it happens. So we'll be watching that one. Before I let you go, I do have to ask you about this resurgence. Uh, so it would seem of the Flat Earth Society and people who are having this conversation (laughs) renewing this debate. I I don't understand. Okay, it's not a debate. (laughs) Hey, I'm just using their words, not mine. It seems so ridiculous, yet here we are. Yeah, you know, uh, you can prove that the Earth is not flat with two sticks and a sunny day like you can if if you're willing to believe that math is real it, that's all it takes um i totally get the idea of mistrusting um 
government in some ways, because I mean, sure, there have been things that cover up and, and all that, those secret programs, especially back in the 60s and 70s and stuff, probably even today. So I get that idea. But really what it comes down to, I think it's people that are too lazy to think, just glam onto whatever topic that they, they read on the internet and say, yeah, I'm going to believe that because someone told me that. And then I don't have to think about it myself. Scott, just look out that window right now. You see that truck driving down Jack Black Avenue? That yep. is a flat road. And that means <laughs> the entire earth is flat. Yeah. That's all the proof I need. Oh, don't make me come over there. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's, it's the scale, right? The, the earth is flat on a very local level and there's mountains and valleys and stuff like that. But if you lived in BC, would you say that the moon is a triangle because the Rocky Mountains are there? I like the way you think, man. It's just not, it's just not, I mean, it's better to do visually because I need to show you with my hands, but I can literally prove the earth is round three different ways in a minute. We'll have to come down to the planetarium with a video camera. We'll do that and we'll, we'll put it on social media. We'll have a fun conversation. Would I love, love that. Thanks for playing along, Scott. Of Appreciate course. it very much. Scott Anytime. Young is manager of the Planetarium and Science Gallery. What's the website? Uh, ManitobaMuseum.ca. Again, it is the 50th anniversary this year of the Planetarium at the Manitoba Museum. 49th anniversary of the first moon landing coming up this Friday. Scott Young, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for listening to CJOB Mornings On Demand. If you like what you hear, take a minute to rate the show, leave us a review, and tell a friend about the podcast. And for more Mapping in the Dairy, tune in to 680 CJOB Mornings weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m.